0: a group that you, that you can connect with, that you can be a part of, where you can grow, where you can do life with some people. If you're not in a city group, I encourage you, swing by any of our connection centers. Grab one of those sheets and, and find a group that you can be a part of. It's why we have a reading plan for you to read God's Word. Man, when we read God's Word, we get into His presence, and you, we've been reading through the Bible throughout the year. We've got two months left. You may have missed the first Ten months. But you can still finish strong with us. Uh, Grab our reading plan if you don't already have one. Now, if you're on a reading plan, we're not like, hey, this is the only reading plan for City Church. I don't care what reading plan you're on. Read the Bible. Uh, We just do this to try to help you to be a tool for you to be reading the word of God. So do it. whatever works for you that gets you in God's word is what you need to keep doing. Uh, Offering up prayers, man. We want to empower you to be praying every day for sure, but I already talked about we've got church prayer a couple uh, once a month for us to gather and do corporate prayer as well, so, man, find one of those you can join us for, uh, and then Worshiping the King, we have our worship night coming up November 14th, we have what we call City Church Sounds, where we put all of our worship music out on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, where you can, man, pull up the playlist and, and sing along, or you may have other worship that you like, man, there's tons of digital means out there, find something that gets you in God's presence. Man, find something that's going to empower you to grow. So all that stuff we talked about is is pretty basic. It's pretty foundational. It's stuff that may be in different wording, but every Christian church pretty much believes all of these same things. Today, we're going to get into some stuff that's a little more controversial. Controversial. This is stuff that you may have heard differently, may have been taught differently, may have believed differently, or experienced differently. Now, when it comes to controversy, there's two kinds of Christians. There's Christians who love it, who seek it out, who, man, they live to debate, they live to argue, they live to share their opinion and be right. You know who you are, right? <laughs> By the way, I should say, you know who. We are, because you are my people. Um, I was born this way. My mom will tell you I was born argumentative. I was speaking in complete sentences by 18 months, and I was arguing by 19 months, right? Like, I, I have always been opinionated. I have always believed that I was right, uh, and that was a big problem for me a lot of my life. In fact, this is what a nerd I was as a teenager. Um, I was a, a on fire, sold out for Jesus by the time I was about 15, 16 years old. At about 16 years old, I started debating a lot of my friends who grew up with a different belief. Uh, They believed in once saved, always saved. I grew up in in a denomination that did not, and so I tried to convince all of them that they could lose their salvation. Uh, Not only did I try to convince them that they could lose their salvation, it became so big that they would actually get their youth pastors to debate me. Uh, Like, here I am, this 16-year-old sitting down in youth pastor's offices all over Rutherford County, North Carolina, debating whether or not you could lose Your salvation I went to Bible college And at Bible college I agreed with about 95% of the theology that I was taught At Bible college But I spent my entire time at Bible college Focused on the 5% that I didn't agree with Arguing with my professors, writing papers Trying to prove them wrong And here's what happened I missed out on a lot of incredible things God wanted to do in my life at Bible college Because I was worried about being right God had to humble me and some would say God is still in the process of humbling me, right? Because I can still lean to that opinionated side of things. I can be that one who, who leans into the controversy. In fact, a, a few months ago, I posted on a controversial topic on Facebook, as I do every once in a while. Uh, and I got a message from somebody who said, you don't have to have an opinion about everything. Uh, and I'm like, that just doesn't compute. Of course I have to have an opinion about everything, right? So so some of you know what I'm talking about. You're on that side. Now, there's the other side of believers who you run from controversy. You run from debate. You run from argument. Man, it's uncomfortable. It's unnatural. I don't want any part of that, uh, and, and I don't want to offend anybody, right? And so there's a ditch on either side. The reality is the gospel is offensive. The reality is if you're going to be a believer in Jesus and follow Jesus, some people aren't going to like what you have to say. So people aren't going to like what you believe. Here's what the difference is. Here's where we gotta be, though. If we are offensive, that's not the goal. That's not the heart, right? We're not trying to put other people down. We got Christians all over social media putting people who, who have different political beliefs, who, who see things differently in this area or that area, arguing with them, calling them names, saying vulgar things about our president, right? That's, that's not Jesus, Okay, let's go Brandon isn't Jesus. I'm sorry. It's just not. And I know you may think it's funny, and some of you are like, what are you talking about? What does Brandon have to do with Biden? If you don't know, it's okay. If you do know, can I, just, can I just preach for a minute? That's not Jesus, y'all. That's not our king. He calls us to honor the authorities. Doesn't mean you have to like him. Doesn't mean you have to have voted for him. Doesn't mean you have to agree with everything he does. I don't agree with everything he does. But I am called to honor him, and using a code for a vulgar expression is not honoring the person that God has over our country. It's just not. Okay? And so we, we don't need to seek out putting other people down. That's not following Jesus. Who is Jesus? John chapter 1 tells us in verse 14 that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace, And truth. So often we want to pick one or the other. We got the grace Christians over here who don't want to offend anybody. And we got the truth Christians over here who want to offend everybody. And Jesus is neither of those. Jesus is full of truth. And he is also full of grace. And so if our truth isn't seasoned with grace, it's not truth. And if our grace isn't full of truth, it's not grace. And so we got to pursue both. So when we talk about controversial things, the goal is not for us to be right and everybody else to be wrong. The goal is not not to, to puff ourselves up on how much greater revelation and wisdom we have. The goal is simply to walk in God's very best, to access everything that God has for us, and to find the truth of the word of God. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to pursue truth in grace. Now let me say this, I'm gonna talk about some things this week, next week, the following week, that some of you may legitimately disagree with. And you may even legitimately disagree with me on this after these three weeks are done. I just ask you to give me three weeks. Hear me out for three weeks. You may legitimately disagree with me. Sometimes I have people come to me and they say something like this, Pastor Troy I know you believe this or City Church believes this, but I believe this. Do I need to find another church? And here's what I always tell people. So you don't need to find another church unless you just feel uncomfortable here because of what we disagree on, right? If you see this differently and you're like, man, I need to be at a church that believes it, that preaches this, and let's help you find a church that does, where you can plug in wholeheartedly, where you can be passionate about the ministry there, you can learn and grow, let's help you find that. But as far as I'm concerned, I don't need you to agree with me about everything. Can I just be real? I don't agree with myself about everything half the time. My wife doesn't agree with me about everything, and she's still married to me, praise God. So... I don't need you to see everything eye to eye with me to be part of this church at all. I am A-OK with disagreeing on some things. Here's what I believe. If you've received Jesus' salvation and I've received Jesus' his salvation, we're going to worship God together for eternity. If we can worship for eternity, why can't we worship now, right? We don't have to see everything the same way to worship Jesus together. That's why I don't focus anymore on the 5% I disagree with. I want to focus on the 95%. However, I also think it's important to address the 5% that people disagree about. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about some things that Christians see differently. And we're not going to talk about them to point fingers at how everybody else gets it wrong. We want to point fingers at what the Word of God has to say and pursue getting it right. Amen? Amen. Amen. So as Christians, we should be people who run to truth and point to grace. Those two things should always attract us. We should always pursue those two things together. Um, That being said, John chapter 1. Give you some context. uh, Excuse me, John chapter 20. I'll give you some context for John chapter 20. What's going on as we talk today about two experiences, one spirit. In John chapter 20, the chapter begins with the empty tomb. The resurrection of Jesus. It's the first Easter. Jesus has died for our sins. He's been buried And daylight is, And God's spirit, the same spirit that dwells in you, raises Jesus from the dead. Amazing, incredible story. The greatest moment in human history, right? And so Jesus appears in the garden to Mary Magdalene. They have this conversation. She goes to hug him and he says, don't touch me. I haven't yet ascended to my father. So that morning, Jesus goes back into heaven, gets restored. We don't really know theologically what all happened or why Jesus had to go to heaven. Jesus had to go to heaven. But didn't stay there very long because we're going to pick up the story in John chapter 20 uh, in verse 19. What happens here, there's a, a heading in the NIV that says Jesus appears to his disciples. So he's already appeared to Mary. Now he's going to appear to his disciples. And look what it says, verse 19, on the evening of that first day of the week. What day is this? Easter Sunday. It's the same day. Continuing the conversation. So Jesus goes to heaven and he does whatever he's got to do and he gets right back down. And so dinner time, the evening of the first day of the week, the evening of Easter Sunday, Jesus appears to his disciples. He says, where were the disciples? They were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Where were they? They were in the upper room. They had, they had a room they were renting. Somebody was allowing them to stay in where, where they were hiding out in fear. Why? Because they'd just seen their leader their rabbi, their teacher, their friend, brutally murdered in front of the world. And they thought, man, if they did this to Jesus, what are they going to do to us? So they are cowering in fear. About 50 days later, these same people are going to turn over the world. They're going to walk in boldness. They're going to walk in power. They're going to walk fearless to tell people about Jesus. But it didn't start that way. And so they're locked in this room, cowering in fear. They don't know what they're going to do. They're having an existential crisis. I spent three and a half years following this guy. I put my life on the line for him. I left my job, my career, everything I knew to follow Jesus, and now he's gone. What am I going to do? And in the midst of this frightened, hurting, broken situation, here comes Jesus says, the disciples were together, the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Jesus came and stood among them, and he said, peace be with you. Why did he say peace be with you? Because they didn't have any peace. Jesus shows up, and he says, shalom. Verse 20, shout out, shalom. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his sides. So he starts showing them his wounds, his scars. Remember, this is only two and a half days after he was nailed to a cross. So he shows them. Here's where they put the nails in. Here's where they put the nail in. Here's where they pierced me with the the spear. It's me. He's proving to them he's not a ghost. He is literally physically there in their midst. Look what it says about the disciples. They were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. I believe when you get a revelation of Jesus, you walk, you're overjoyed. It's the same word that, that Luke uses when he talks about the magi coming across the desert and that they didn't see the star when they went to Jerusalem and they come out of the Jerusalem and they saw the star again and when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. I told you I love Christmas, right? I love the Christmas story. I gotta tie it back to Christmas. They were overjoyed. There's something when God gives us a revelation, when God reveals his presence to us, when Jesus shows up, we are overjoyed. Verse 21, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. Jesus repeats himself. You know Jesus repeats himself to his disciples a lot? You know why Jesus repeats himself? Because we're slow. (laughs) Right? Like, well, I already know that. You know why he tells you? Because you might know it, but you ain't living it. So he keeps on saying the same thing until you get it. said, peace be with you. Obviously, they weren't peaceful after that first one. So he says it again, peace be with you. And then he says this, as the Father has sent me, just the same way, I was sent from heaven to earth on a mission, I am sending you. You need to know this, Christian. You need to know this believer in Jesus Christ. You have a mission. You are a sent one. It's literally what a missionary means. A missionary is a sent one. You are a sent one. Now, you may not be sent to Iraq. You may not be sent to, to Belize. You may not be sent across the world, but you're sent to a workplace. You're sent to a neighborhood you're sent to a city, you're sent to a family, you're sent to a school, you are a sent one. You have been given a mission. And so Jesus, as he is establishing something here, I'm a big believer in what we call the rule of firsts. We're gonna see something in this next passage that, that has never happened before. It's the first time it ever happens in Scripture. And anytime we see something for the first time, it's, it's foundational. It's, this is what God has designed for us. This is what God wants to do. It's why I teach all the time out of Genesis 1, 2, and 3. There's a whole lot of firsts in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. It gives us the foundations, the principles for God's original design for things. So Jesus says, as the Father sent me, I am sending you, in verse 22. And with that, <sighs> first service I did that and I spit on Carolyn. I didn't do it this time. Praise God for making progress. And uh, with that, he breathed on them and he said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Why? What is he doing? Well, up to this point in time, there did not exist a thing called salvation. The Old Testament saints didn't experience salvation the way that we experience salvation. They had to go to a holding place when they died. They couldn't immediately brought into God's presence because there had not yet been a sacrifice for sin. But now the sacrifice has been paid. Jesus has died, the perfect sacrifice. He lived 33 years. He didn't sin. He died on the, on the Passover as the Passover lamb for our sins so that there never needed need to be another sacrifice. So the price has been paid, he's been dead, he's been buried, and now he's been raised back to life. So he has authority over sin, authority over the grave, and now he breathes on them. And what happened in the temple? The veil was torn, right? What does the veil being torn tell us? The separation between God and man has been eliminated, There's no more gap between us and him. And so he breathes on them and says, Receive the Holy Spirit. All of a sudden, God who was distant, God who was other, God who was separate, God who we couldn't get to, now comes to live in his people. It's a massive moment, incredible moment. Do you remember your salvation? When you first believed on Jesus, when you first called upon his name, when you first realized the nature of your sin and how you could never save yourself, only Jesus could save you, and you cried out to him, what happened? Well, Jesus didn't stand physically in front of you and breathe on you, but I believe from the right hand of God the Father in heaven, he breathed on that room you were in, on that vehicle you were in, at that church service you attended, wherever it was where you gave your life to Jesus, he breathed. And the Holy Spirit came to live in you. That's what happens when you receive salvation. Yesterday I went to a funeral. A good friend of mine, David Connolly, our very first worship leader in our youth praise band. guy who built our band, who trained our musicians. Caleb was part of the, the first band that we had. Awesome guy, love Jesus, hilarious dude. Died at 52 years old. I went to a funeral yesterday at Great Commission Church, and can I just say it was absolutely the best funeral I've ever attended. I've been to a lot of funerals. I've done a lot of funerals. This thing was, was next level. I've never walked out of a funeral where Jesus was glorified, where people were built up the way that they were yesterday. It was absolutely amazing. I sat in awe. So many incredible things. I just want to share with you one thing that they shared at the funeral. His wife, Stacy, got up shared about David's life, and one of the things she shared was his testimony, and I'd heard pieces of this, but I'd never heard all of it, and it was the coolest thing. She said she she came to Jesus first, and David was not saved. David did not grow up in a Christian home. David did not know Jesus, did not want Jesus, didn't recognize any need for Jesus. Stacy came to Jesus first, and she started praying for his salvation. She prayed for him for over a year that her husband would give his life to Jesus, And they had a friend who, who David looked up to. David was a musician. Like, he's like, he's got the rock star gene. Uh, he just, man, he, he always wanted to be that. He was always in that. And so he had a, a friend who was a, another musician who was a little older than him who David looked up to who knew Jesus. And they'd bump into each other out in town all the time or at, at a show or whatever. And every time he saw his friend Van, who was actually at the funeral yesterday, Van would say, hey, David, why don't you come to church with me? And every time David would blow him off, no, not interested. Sometimes he might say maybe, I'll think about it, but he never came. Van did this for years. Finally, one day, they bump into Van out in town. Stacey has been praying for David's salvation for over a year. They bump into each other. Van sees David. He says, hey, David, why don't you come to church with me? David says, I'll tell you what, Van. I will come to church with you on one condition. You promise to never ask me to go to church again. This is it. We're done. Shut up. Man takes him up on the offer. David goes to church within that Sunday, and during a worship song, again this guy's wired for music. Jesus reveals Himself to my friend, and my friend gave his life to Jesus, received his salvation. Jesus breathed, and the Holy Spirit came to live in David Connolly, and David is at the feet of Jesus, worshiping him today because he had an annoying friend who wouldn't shut up and a praying wife who wouldn't give up. And I want to encourage somebody today. You got a friend who you've been maybe not inviting to church, maybe you've been telling them about Jesus, but you've been pursuing them, you've been sharing with them, you've been praying for them. And there's a part of you that says, man, it's just not going to happen. Part of you that's saying, man, just let's just give up. Just focus on somebody else. You don't need to keep bringing this up, keep bringing it up. Because of one persistent person who wouldn't shut up and one praying wife who wouldn't give up. My friend who lost his life prematurely did not lose his life tragically but got restored and resurrected to the presence of God right now. He's in a whole lot better place than we are because somebody wouldn't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up on people. Jesus wants to bring them salvation and he wants to use you to be a part of it. Do not, do not, do not give up. Jesus breathes and they receive the Holy Spirit. We call this experience in John 20, salvation. Every person, when they cross the line of faith, has this experience they had in John 20, 22. Now, obviously, it looked different. Jesus doesn't physically stand in front of us and do this, but we spiritually receive salvation the same way. In fact, the, if the Holy Spirit lives in you, you are saved. This is God's definition of salvation. When the Father looks down, if he sees the Holy Spirit, he knows that's one of mine. Here's how we know this. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us this is not the only place, but one place. It says this in verse 13. He says, you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So when you received, when you first believed in Jesus, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. He, he put a stamp on you. He looks down. He said, there's my spirit. That's one of mine. Verse 14 goes on to say this, who, who, talking about the Holy Spirit, is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. So when you receive salvation, you didn't just get saved from your sin, but you got adopted into a new family. And you got promised an inheritance. And so the Holy Spirit is the down payment on your inheritance. The Holy Spirit is the evidence that the rest of the inheritance is coming. He says, I want you to know I'm giving you everything that I promised you, and the Holy Spirit is how you know I'm coming through. He gave us the Holy Spirit, the deposit of our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So if you are a Christian in this room, the Holy Spirit lives in you right now. You probably know that. You're probably aware of that. This isn't the controversial part, right? But you need to understand if you are saved, the Holy Spirit lives in you. We can say it either way, right? If you, the Holy Spirit lives in you, you're saved. If you're saved, the Holy Spirit lives in you. So Jesus gives them salvation in John chapter 20. It's an incredible experience with the Holy Spirit. But it's not the only experience with the Holy Spirit he has for his disciples. This is day one, post-resurrection. Jesus didn't just spend one day on earth after his resurrection. How many did he spend? Do you guys know? Close. Forty. Jesus was here 40 days post-resurrection, okay? And so he, he appears to many people. In fact, that, man, 1 Corinthians lists out hundreds and hundreds of people who viewed the risen Christ. Acts chapter 1 tells us that he gave them many proofs that he was alive. So there were doubters. There were skeptics. There were people like, I don't know if this is really true. And time and time again, Jesus came through and he proved, I'm really, it's really me. I've really been raised back to life for 40 days. Day 40, he has another conversation with his disciples in Acts chapter 1. It says there, and starting in verse 4, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. He says, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Don't you hate that word, wait? I went to Kroger the other day to pick up some stuff for Fall Fest, and I picked the wrong line. Uh, I picked not just the wrong line, I picked the wrong cashier. Uh, this lady was not called to be a cashier at Kroger. She was walking outside of her calling, and I hate to see people walking outside of their calling. Uh, that's a super spiritual way to say I was impatient, right? make it sound like I'm spiritual when I'm in the flesh. Uh, I was like, come on, lady, get me through this line. So, so I was late picking up my kids from school and it was a whole thing. But anyway, uh, we don't like to wait, do we? Jesus says, I want you to wait. You know there's power in waiting? You know the power of God oftentimes comes to those who Wait. So often our culture is prone to wanting instantaneous response and instantaneous gratification, but God's economy works on waiting, on patience. He could have baptized them in the Holy Spirit, which is about what's about to happen, right there. Right? He could just, hey, could have breathed on them again and said, now be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Bada bing, bada boom, it's done. But Jesus saw value in them waiting. He says, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Wait for what? For the gift that my father promised. Holy Spirit is your helper. Holy Spirit is your friend. Holy Spirit is your God, and He's also a gift. He said, I want you to wait for the gift that my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. Verse 5, for John baptized with water. John the Baptist baptized with water. By the way, you need to be baptized in water. If you haven't been baptized in water, this is something that God has ordained and commanded for his people to do. It doesn't save you. You're already saved when you receive the Holy Spirit upon salvation. But baptism tells everybody, I'm with Jesus. It's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. He says, John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized With the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that word baptized mean? The Greek word there uh, means to be immersed. The Greek word is baptizo. Uh, It it means to be drenched in something. In fact, the ancient Greek uses for baptizo, there are a number of them, but the two most common uses for baptizo one was for the process of making pickles. You put the cucumber in the vinegar and you baptizo it. You soak it, you drench it, right? Uh, The other was to describe a sunken ship. A ship that was out in the sea that sinks is baptizoed. It's fully immersed in water. That's why we believe in baptism through immersion, right? It doesn't mean, man, if you got sprinkled that your salvation has been canceled and God doesn't love you. That's not what I'm saying. We just want to do it as close to the biblical way as we can, and we understand this is what this word means. And so Jesus says you're going to be immersed, you're going to be soaked, you're going to be drenched in the Holy Spirit. I'm going to baptizo you in my spirit. Verse six. Since they gathered around him, and I love the disciples because the disciples are dumb. They are one-track mind. Jesus is telling them this amazing experience they're about to have. This incredible thing I'm going to do, and they immediately change the subject. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? That's all they could think about. You're the Messiah, you're going to be the king, so, so we thought we lost you, you died, we thought you failed, now you're back, so now it's time, right? Let's go become king, let's take over this thing, let's overthrow the Romans. They were one-track mind, and Jesus, I can't imagine how frustrated he gets with us, because uh, we can be so foolish. He's like, God wants to do something amazing, and our mind's down here, right? Verse 7, Jesus just barely addresses it. He says, it's not for you to know the times or dates the father set by his own authority. Verse 8, but. Talked last week about the beautiful big butts of the Bible. This is another beautiful big butt right here. He says, but. We're not worried about that. Don't worry about when I'm taking over. Don't worry about when I'm going to be king. I got something for you right now. But you will receive power. Everybody say power. The Greek word here is dunamis. It's the same word we get dynamite. It's explosive. It's demonstrative. It changes things, right? If something comes in contact with dynamite, it's never the same. He says when you come in contact with the Holy Spirit's power, you'll never be the same. It will change you forever. He says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. The Holy Spirit's already in you, but now he's about to come on you. It's a different experience, and you will be what? You will be my witnesses. Notice he doesn't say you'll receive power and you'll speak in tongues. He doesn't say you'll receive power and you'll walk in spiritual gifts. All that stuff's going to come. It's part of the package, but it's the bonus. You ever eaten at Five Guys? You get to five guys and you order a thing of fries, they give you a cup, and then there's like a whole bag full of fries in the bottom. There's nothing better than bonus fries, right? Like bonus fries are delicious. Well, so the, 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 what you're ordering with the baptism of the Holy Spirit is power to witness. This is what the purpose of this is. This is why God ordained for us to have it. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on me. You'll be my witnesses where? In Judea, that's the region in southern Israel where they were currently Jerusalem was in, in Samaria, which was a little further north, so to your neighbors, and then he says, and to the ends of the earth. You're going to receive power to be witnesses all over the place. Yeah, there's going to be some other stuff that comes with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I'm going to do some cool things in you. Yeah, you you can't even conceive of everything that's coming, but the point, the purpose, the reason I want this for you is so that you will have power to witness. Verse 9 says, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. And a cloud hid them from their sight. So we can do some math. Jesus was on earth 40 days after his death and resurrection. Day one, he breathes on them, says receive the Holy Spirit, they receive salvation. Day 40, he has a conversation with them about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He says in a few days, you're going to get baptized in the Holy Spirit. I want you to wait for this. He ascends into heaven and he's gone. Skip forward to chapter 2. Chapter two, verse one. So let let me just cover real quick the the rest of chapter one because I I do think it's important. There's a few other things that happen in chapter one. What happens? The disciples, they go to the upper room, the same room that they probably had the Passover meal with Jesus where where they received the Lord's Supper. Uh, Certainly the same room where they were locked in and hiding and terrified for their lives just a few days before. Now they go to this upper room to wait for the Holy Spirit. But they don't just wait for the Holy Spirit. They do some stuff. One thing they did is they needed to replace Judas. There were 12 disciples, 12 apostles. One of them betrayed Jesus and then committed suicide. And so they had to replace Judas. And so they did something that we see a lot in the Bible up to this point and we'll never see it again in Scripture after this point. They cast lots. I don't know if you're familiar with the the process of casting lots, but basically it's some sticks, and you see who's got the short stick or who's got the longest stick, depending on what you're trying to do. And, And they believed that God would use that to reveal his will to them through the casting of lots. So they had two candidates to become the new disciple the new apostle to replace judas just kind of like yesterday we had two people that tied for the pie bake off but we had to break the tie right so aaron got the short end of the stick uh he came in second place on his pie uh they, they cast lots They never cast lots again in Scripture after this because of what's going to happen in chapter 2 changes everything. After they're baptized in the Holy Spirit, they can discern God's will for themselves. After they receive the power of the Holy Spirit, they don't have to hope that we get the sticks, right? They don't have to hope that God uses these things. All of a sudden, they can hear God fully and clearly for themselves. They never cast lots again. So what happens in chapter 2? Verse 1 says, when the day of Pentecost came. Let's talk about Pentecost for a second. What's Pentecost? Pentecost was a Hebrew Jewish feast. It was a feast to celebrate something specific. Anybody know what it was? Real quiet. A lot of Pentecostals in here that don't know what Pentecost is. Pentecost is the feast of the harvest. Pentecost was the beginning of the wheat harvest. It was the celebration that it's time to eat. It's time to make some bread. It's time to throw down. God has provided for us. God has blessed us. What's important about the harvest? Well, Jesus had a conversation with his disciples about the harvest. He said, I've got a harvest coming. See, there's harvest fields of souls that are ready to be reaped, ready to be brought in. He said, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he'll send workers. Because people are ready. We just need to go get them. Somebody's got to be the one to tell them to come to church. Somebody's got to be the one to tell them that Jesus loves them. Somebody's got to go get them. Somebody's got to do the work because they're ready to receive. He says, the harvest is ready, but the workers are few. So, I don't think it's any coincidence that the Holy Spirit shows up on the day of the Feast of the Harvest. Just like I don't think it was any coincidence that Jesus was crucified on the day of the Passover. The Passover was symbolic of the, the lamb that was sacrificed and his blood was spread, that the, the angel of death would pass over the Israelites. Jesus died so that the angel of death will pass over me. I don't have to die for my sins. I don't think this is, these things didn't happen by accident. God ordained these feasts. He ordained these celebrations as a foreshadow of what he wanted to do in your life and in my life. And so Jesus dies on Passover. Pentecost happens, by the way, 50 days after Passover. So if we do some math, we can figure out when this was. This was either, and sometimes biblical math gets a little bit confusing because they measure days a little different than we do. Uh, this is either day 48 or day 47. Day 47 after their salvation day seven or day eight after jesus ascended into heaven so this is one of those we can't know exactly what day it is but we could be really really close within 24 hours of when this happened so they waited for about a week for about a week they went and they waited and all this happened so when the day of pentecost came they were all together in one place you probably know there was 120 people in the room it's a big room Right, especially for that day and age, they didn't have just tons of buildings this size, but somehow they had found a room. 120 of them—young, old, men, women, some who had been disciples and been very close to Jesus, some who were a little further away from him but knew who he was and, and followed him and believed in him. 120 people. Verse two. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind. We've been singing about the Holy Spirit the last few weeks. You've probably caught some of the symbolism in the songs. We need a fresh wind. The word pneuma for spirit means wind, means breath. It's all the same word in Greek. And so this sound of a violent wind begins. It says it came from heaven. It filled the whole house where they were sitting. Verse 3, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire. So obviously these weren't actual flames that descended because it says it actually that lands on them, right? That separated and came to rest on each one of them. 120 people all of them have a tongue of fire that rests on them. It's kind of harkens back to, to the burning bush, right? Moses has a revelation of the, of the presence of God. He sees this bush that is burning but isn't consumed. We see the same thing. Their hair is burning but it isn't consumed. Verse 4, all of them. Everybody say all of them. 120 people, men and women, young and old, very, very close to Jesus, some who weren't as close to Jesus, but all of them had received salvation, all of them had believed on Jesus for the Son of God, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. No one have time to go through the whole chapter right now, we we'll probably get into some of it later on in the series, but what's going to happen is they're going to spill out into the streets, out of the upper room, and a whole bunch of people are going to hear them talking about Jesus in their own native languages, because why? Would people be there who spoke other languages? Well, they came to celebrate Pentecost. All these scattered Jews who lived in all these other places, who spoke all these other languages, they come back to Jerusalem for the celebration of Pentecost, and they get there, and here's all these uneducated Galilean Nazarenes, these people who shouldn't know their language at all, who start speaking perfectly in their native tongue, like, what's going on? Peter gets up, and he gives this first sermon in the history of the church, and 3,000 people come to Jesus. Why? Why? Because it's the day of Pentecost. It's the harvest. The Holy Spirit, the power to witness, begins the harvest. It brings in the harvest. So understand this, church. Two experience, one spirit. You can be saved but not baptized in the Holy Spirit. The disciples were for 47 days, 48 days. We can argue about that later. Right? Somewhere in there. The the disciples were were saved. They received the Holy Spirit before they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. You can be saved and not baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, I know people who got both, like, in the same day. I mean, they gave their life to Jesus. They received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, kind of got it as a package deal. In fact, we see that in the book of Acts numerous times later on, where people receive salvation and the baptism of the Holy Spirit simultaneously. I also know people who got saved and got baptized in the Holy Spirit way, 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 way later. For me... It's hard to say because nobody knows exactly when I got saved because I prayed to receive Jesus at two and at four and at eight, and so I don't know when it took, but somewhere in there it took. I got baptized in the Holy Spirit when I was 14. Next week I'm going to share with you my story of getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. What did God do in my life in this way? I don't have time to get into it today, but we'll dig into it a little more. So you can be saved but not baptized in the Holy Spirit. You cannot be baptized in the Holy Spirit but not saved. So two experiences. One is a prerequisite for the other. You have to be saved first. You have to receive the Holy Spirit first before the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. So, so the terminology gets funny and confusing, and some things don't carry over in translation. So, it'll refer to the baptism of the Holy Spirit as baptism refers filling with the Holy Spirit, and then that's where it really gets confused because like the Holy Spirit's already in me, so I can't be filled if He's already in me. And let's try not get too caught up in that. Here's the best way that I can explain it: is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Is the Holy Spirit coming on you? Is the Holy Spirit covering you? You ever been with somebody and it's just like, man, Jesus was all over him? That's what he wants to do through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He just wants to be all over you, right? He just wants to cover you, man, to where, where it just bounces off you, where you can't help but be overjoyed in the presence of God. I believe that God wants this for every believer. Now, God's not going to force it on you. He's not going to make you take this step. By the way, we're not going to force it on you either. Can I just make this real clear? We don't have different classes of Christians at City Church. We don't have, like, prerequisites. Well, hey, if you're going to serve in leadership, you got to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. We believe in it. We teach it. I want you to have it because I think it's a blessing for your life. But we don't divide and, and, and rank Christians by this. This isn't about you being better than somebody else. This isn't about City Church being better than some other church. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is about you being better than you. It's about God taking your walk with God to a new level. It's about God empowering you to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit in a way that you haven't walked before. And sometimes people throw out stuff like an example of this amazing Christian who grew up in a church or who was part of a church that didn't believe in this. It's like, look at Billy Graham. Billy Graham was Baptist, and he didn't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and 50 million people got saved. I don't know how many people got saved from Billy Graham, right? But some incredible number, and it's like, he's better than anybody, you know. How many people have you led to Jesus? Not 50 million, Uh, right? (laughs) I ain't Billy Graham. I wasn't ever called to be Billy Graham. I'm just called to be Troy South. And so the baptism of the Holy Spirit doesn't make me better than you. It just makes me better than me. It empowers me to serve God a little better than I could outside. Not even a little better, a lot better. That was a misstatement. That's what happens when I get away from my notes. It gets dangerous. Say something stupid, right? (laughs) It empowers me to be better than me. To do something that I could never do in my own strength, in my own ability. It's not about comparing Christians. It's not about comparing churches. And I praise God that we got brothers and sisters in, in Christ who don't see everything the way that we do. Man, they got revelation in areas that we don't. And we need that from them. We need to learn from them and glean from them. But this is one thing I'm confident in, y'all. I'm confident. I've seen it. I've experienced it. It's in the Word. It's clear. God has this, and it's for you. So next week we're going to talk about why it's for you. When I preach, I always want to have a take-home. I like to give you homework, right? I want to do something practical. I don't ever want to just get up here and, and talk theology I don't ever want to get up here and just hit you with a bunch of information. This is probably the most like informational service I've ever done. I don't have a whole lot for you to do with this, service, this message, but I do have one thing. It depends on which category you're in today. I believe most of us in this room, perhaps all of us in this room, have already given our life to Jesus. We already have the Holy Spirit living in us. So if you already have the Holy Spirit living in us, but you have not yet taken the step to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, here's your homework. Pray about it. And when I say pray about it, I don't mean like you go to lunch and before you've already eaten some chips and salsa, but before your meal gets there, you're like, God, show me if I need to get baptized with the Holy Spirit, amen, right? I, I mean like legitimately pray about this. Like make this a matter of prayer. Open this up. God, is this something you have for me? God, do you want me to do this? Just ask him. Don't take my word for it. That is for you. Ask him. And if he begins to create a desire in your heart, A hunger in you to experience this, keep praying that thing through November 14th, I'm going to go ahead and tell you at our worship night, we're going to offer the baptism of the Holy Spirit we're going to have prayer partners lined up to lay hands on people and pray with you according to the biblical model to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit if God lays this on your heart, this is something I want to receive, you better be at this worship night This ain't the only opportunity you're ever going to have. It's not like if you miss it, you're jacked, but it's going to be an awesome night. Now, you may have a desire, and I've seen this happen a couple times. I always like to give people a heads up when it's going to be presented because Jesus gave them a heads up because I want you to wait. So I like following that model. I think Jesus wanted to build some anticipation. He wanted to prepare their hearts instead of just throwing on them. I always like to give a heads up. Now, I've seen this happen where people got so fired up for it and so hungry for it where they just went ahead and pursued the baptism of the Holy Spirit on their own and they didn't even make it to the service where we were going to do it. And that's awesome. If you get baptized in the Holy Spirit in your car or your shower or your backyard or wherever, praise God, I don't need you to do this at City Church. I just want you to take advantage of what God has for you. So if that's how God wants to do it in your life or how you want God to do it in your life, go. For many of us, it helps. I'm certainly this way. It helps to have other people who are going, going through this with you. I'll tell you my testimony next week, but I did it with a bunch of other people and, and it worked really well for me in this way. So it's coming November 14th. The next two weeks, I'm gonna teach on it. I'm gonna preach on it. If God's creating that hunger in you, be here the next two weeks, next two Sundays. Maybe you gotta travel, you gotta be out of town or whatever. Make sure you get the podcast. Make sure you watch the live stream. Like get a hold of this because God's ly- laying this out. He's building a framework, a foundation that he's gonna do something with, I truly believe. So that's if you're not already baptized in the Holy Spirit. Let's talk to the people who are. One thing I love about our church is we have such diverse church backgrounds. We have people in here who grew up charismatic, Pentecostal, man, you've known this your whole life, and we got people in here who like, cares what? Right, like, you have no clue what I just said, right? And it's awesome. I love that we have people from all kinds of of church backgrounds. Why? Because heaven's going to have people of all kinds of church backgrounds. We want to be a church that looks like heaven, and I think it's awesome. I don't want everybody to be alike. That's not what, what, what God is pursuing. God reaches different people in different ways through different movements, through different denominations, through different churches, and I'm grateful for that. So let's talk to the people who are baptized in the Holy Spirit real quick. Here's what I want you to do. One, I want you to check and see if you need a refresher. Because these same people who got baptized in the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 got filled with the Spirit a couple more times in the book of Acts. God moved and he refreshed and he reawakened some things and he did new things in them. So you might need a refresher. You might need a reawakening. You might have let some things grow dormant that God did in you that it's time to reawaken. Second thing I want you to do is I want you to start praying for people to receive. God's done this in you. If you've tasted and seen what the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit can do in your life, Man, pray that God will do it for somebody else. He may lay specific people on your heart to start interceding for. He may just lay the church on your heart generally. If you can be here on November 14th and help us pray people through, if you've walked in this, I need you here. Man, we want you here because, man, there's something that God has placed in you that is so unique. Next week, I'm gonna tell you my story. Let me tell you this real, real quick. I'm going to tell you my story so you know what God's done in my life, so you know I'm not just preaching something theoretically that I've experienced it. I'm not going to tell you my story so that you can model after what God did in me. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is different for everybody, right? What he did in Acts chapter 2 isn't what he's going to do in your life. You're not going to have a tongue of fire descend in the city church auditorium, I don't think. Right? If God wants to do that, that'll be something he had not done in a long time. More than likely, there will be no fire in this room physically. Fire God's going to follow. I'm not going to tell you my story so you can be like, here's what I want God to do for me. I just want to tell you my story so you can understand what I've experienced. And God can build your faith that he wants to do something in you. But that experience looks different for everybody. The way he does it, the way it feels, we'll we'll talk about all that. Don't get caught up in that. Don't get caught up in pursuing my story or somebody else's story. Get caught up in pursuing the presence of God. Get caught up in pursuing God's best for your life. What does he want for you? Open that door, pray that through, and allow him to speak. I think God's going to do something awesome over the next year.